We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Seahawks Man to Man is presented by OfficialK9.com, the official store of Kenneth Walker III. His store combines the power of Web 2 and Web 3 to allow for fans to purchase new merch drops, digital collectibles, and enter exclusive giveaways. Check out OfficialK9.com to see all the newest merchandise from Kenneth Walker III and use code Seahawks for 10% off at checkout. Again, use code Seahawks on OfficialK9.com for 10% off Kenneth Walker's official gear at checkout. Check out the podcast description for more details. Welcome to the Seahawks Man-to-Man Podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys know where to follow me at. I'm verified on there. Shout out to Elon Musk. Uh, Also, shout out to all of our YouTube subscribers, Seahawks Man-to-Man on YouTube. That's the number two man. All the subscribers who can see me right now see that I am on my second pair of glasses uh, that I am wearing, you know, despite Chris. Uh, who is vision challenged this time we're going with the sunglasses because they look uh, a lot cooler and it helps because our, our next guest is coming to us from california where it is not snowing like it is here in seattle uh to preview or actually my bad i almost cut you off here chris go ahead you talk to him nah man go ahead and cut me off now nah, you can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> it's your boy c kid t k i d d 206 and that again is c kid 206 all right i'll take the glasses off um Thank- for- well those are fine to be fair no I'm yeah gonna- these are these are these are. Not, I'll tell you where I got this after we do the uh, do the uh, guest intro. Uh, Seahawks Rams coming up down in Los Angeles, SoFi Stadium, which become my favorite stadium to cover games from. Uh, actually, to talk about the three and eight Los Angeles Rams, we have our favorite Seahawks man to man podcast guest, Jordan Rodrigue, covers the Rams for the Athletic. Jordan, welcome back. How are you? I am keeping my record alive, Mac Matt Barrows. If you're listening, <laughs> you don't have on me all right oh you can say it go ahead this is a this is a unfiltered podcast you don't know how many times might be dropping f-bombs s-bombs might be going crazy so george barrows eat my dust (laughs) don't worry tashanka 75 times on the show last week (laughs) i loved it it was fun it was hilarious but yeah no this is not a 
PG. Tashawn's had some back and forth with Iggy Azalea, and so now, now you're really seeing he's he's being a little bit more vocal. So now you know you you, you gotta watch you gotta watch out. You know. <laughs> I get my guy Goat Reed uh, um, a date with Iggy. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Chris, I actually before we start, I actually got these. Uh, somebody who I guess DK has like a deal with Oakley, so they just been oh, wow the glasses. Yeah, so I just got these randomly in the mail. These are nice. I'm gonna take these down to LA with me. I'm not gonna do see? the show with him because I can't. I can't see anything with glasses. I don't know how people do that. It was. It, I was hanging out with Tashawn on Saturday before the Raider game, and I had some sunglasses on wherever he was at. We was indoors, and I was like, "What the hell? I can't see shit." Well, you're indoors, Mike. Of course not. It just looked. I looked cool as hell, though. Let me tell yes, you. Yes, you it, can it, do it, sunglasses that... inside in LA. They don't. They don't think you're. They don't think you're lame for doing that. They think you're famous if you do that. So. Yes, I'm. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And when I come down to SoFi, I love. I love covering <laughs> games at SoFi now. Now that I know where the exits and the entrances are, great. You're stadium. good to go. Not a well-marked because... stadium. Not a lot of signage. <laughs> no, nope. I got lost getting out of there that first time in 2020. Lady told me to go to floor six. I was like, "There's no way floor six is where my car is. There's no way." I just, I just didn't believe her. Go all the way down to floor one. I'm in the basement. I'm like, "Damn, maybe she was onto something." <laughs> But then I went up to floor two. I'm like, nah, she tripping. It's a new stadium. Go up there. Damn, I'm still in the basement. (laughs) Maybe floor six is it. Boom, floor six. I'm right there because the stadium's built into the ground. I don't know if I've that story before, but that was my first sofa. I was like, this this stadium sucks. Fuck, what's the parking lot on floor six? Didn't make sense. Sorry, my little. We we got a lot in here before we even start talking about the the Rams. Uh, All good. Let's do this. First of all. Like Mike said, pre-show, off wax. Who gets the win? We're not going to do it at the end of the show. We have now transitioned that to the beginning of the show. So, Jordan, who do you think gets the win? Right now, the Seahawks are favored by eight points. So, yeah, that's very interesting. We know there's a lot of injuries going on. We'll get into that, too. But, Jordan, who do you have getting the dub and give us a score? Um, I do think the Seahawks will win this game. Uh, the Rams are obviously on a five-game losing streak, worst of the Sean McVay era. They're going to be without most of their star players and uh, they're pretty decimated and preparing to start uh, either their 11th offensive line in 12 games or their 12th offensive line in 12 games. We'll see how the week goes. (laughs) Um, Wow. And uh, the Seahawks, the Seahawks are playing well. Um, I know a little bit of dip uh, recently, but overall this season, they've been fun to watch and they've, they really put it together in ways that I think, um, all present company on this podcast even didn't uh, didn't ex- expect, including myself, which I, you know, but I also didn't expect the Rams to implode this hard. Um, I think that the I think it's going to be um, the Rams defense is playing well. So I think it'll be something like 21-10, you know, uh, it, I, I don't really know what this defense looks like without Aaron Donald. He hasn't missed a game in due to injury in uh, in his entire career. He's started he's played in 83 consecutive games. Um, even through cracked rib cartilage and wearing like some sort of Teflon armor and an icy hot patch around his entire torso. So I, I don't really know what this defense looks like without him. Um, so that's why I say that, like it could totally implode. I don't know, but um, I, I think the the Rams defense has been a, a bright spot this season. So 21, 10 Seahawks. All right. I also will pick the Seahawks. No surprise there. I think I'm <laughs> three for three on that. I told Mike after, one of the games they proved me wrong. I said, I'm done betting against these boys. I'm going to pick them the rest of the season. I don't care picking them. So I, too, will pick the Seahawks to get the win. I think – so now it gets interesting. We'll get into Aaron Donald and his status, but 
Let's say Aaron Donald does not play. I see the Seahawks winning maybe 27 to 13. Mike? That's fair. That's oh, fair. yeah, it's, not, it's on me. Yeah, the, the, O-line, the O-line count is insane. That's just <laughs> – I is. wish – this is where I wish we had, like, one of them graphics department. We can just put all t- – the different lineups that they've had so <laughs> you usually just don't see that that's 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 pretty uh insane uh, i'll keep it short i'll pick the seahawks I, I think it's gonna be close though i just don't believe in uh i don't believe in a pete carroll team blowing out a sean McVay team i gotta mm. i gotta see that first because <laughs> i've seen the inverse way too much with dudes named john wofford starting so yeah <laughs> I, I, I need to see that to believe to believe that uh 17 13 i'd say so all my gamblers out there take plus my- eight on the rams all right <laughs> yeah yeah plus yeah plus did they cover last week what they covered they were 15 and a half point dogs and they covered <laughs> Ooh, that's a moral victory right but it still but it still was actually they kept the de- the defense kept them in the game it was 13 to 3 at halftime and the chiefs they had a 72 percent touchdown rate in the red zone the rams held them to field goals and had an interception um so it's pretty pretty impressive despite the complete garbage fire that is this season mm. do we, well, do we know, think do we think aaron donald's gonna play Where are we i don't go? think he'll play yeah. oh wow i'd be surprised i mean i think he wa- he would want to play and i think that if the rams had I, I don't know the severity of his injury yet um he played the entire game on sunday so, I mean, you kind of are like, all right, well, could he, should he have gone out and could he have gone out if it were uh, less of a close game through most of it? Um, this is one of those things where a lot of this type of, uh, uh, when you see a team imploding like this, injuries that people would try to maybe get through or the team, you know, they would push through and the team would let them push through um, this time of year, especially if there's a playoff contention available, like the cracked and torn rib cartilage, for example, like he pushed through and played through that. Um, but being a high ankle sprain, I- I'm not super optimistic he'll go this weekend. And also the Rams are three and eight. So not super optimistic about uh, seeing him even the rest of the season, um, depending mm-hmm. on what the test results show. He's, get, he's getting some more testing today, uh, Tuesday, when we're recording this. So probably figure that out by tomorrow. That's, that's a shame. I do. I, know. I, I, I do enjoy watching Aaron Donald. You know, destroy. Who doesn't? Teams. Besides, yeah. you know, former well, see, certain former quarterbacks. Oh, you can say his name, fans. Russell Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Russell Wilson, Geno Smith. I mean, the, the the Aaron Donald has just done such bad things to the Seahawks. You know, like he's it was a play against him that broke Russ's finger. You know, mm-hmm. and changed the course of the franchise uh, there in a lot of ways. So it does suck. Uh, not not seeing him play uh, if he does not. Uh, I do have I a question. Blame. I do have a question for you guys. I was thinking about this a lot. Um, if Aaron Donald had not broken Russell Wilson's finger, mm. and we didn't see Gino, uh, you know, in actual live game action, the coaches didn't see Gino in actual live game action. Do you think that it would have been a different or uh, more chaotic decision this offseason in terms of whether or not – because I had heard he'd done some awesome stuff behind the scenes, so I don't doubt that at all. But in terms of, like, live game action, do you think that Aaron Donald is in part responsible for Geno Smith uh, and the Geno sounds? Uh, absolutely. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's it's it. not even, it's not even just <laughs> that particular game. You can even take it further back when they had Brandon Staley and they play the Rams three times in, uh, what was that? Nine weeks. I think including the preseason, maybe three times in 10 weeks or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, in the 2020 season that eventually, that essentially kills the let Russ cook thing. 
Like just Aaron Donald and the Rams just basically destroyed that, which deteriorated the relationship between Pete and Russ. So then you get Russ's first being pissed that offseason. Then you go to the finger thing. There they are playing the Rams again. Boom, he's out again. Uh, and then it just makes it even worse. Then Russ rushes back. Looks like shit against the Packers. And so then it's it, it, everything. The Rams just just break the, uh, the the Seahawks in a lot of ways. They've got McVay's gotten coordinators up here fired. Uh, like Brian Schottenheimer didn't survive that season. Uh, when they blew out the Seahawks in 2017, like 42 to seven uh, in Seattle, uh, neither coordinator survived that season uh, after that. So, yeah, the, the Rams, one way or the other, tell the Seahawks what they want to know about themselves. But uh, here's what would, I love. This be the case too. It's, it's wild. It's wild. And what I love about what the Seahawks have done this year is they've become and they've brought in elements of the thing that which they most despise. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like and they didn't just do it uh, last year, um, but like, you know, the OC and then the offensive scheme. And then now the defense, which you guys were all over that deep, that big defensive shift um, really for the first time in, in Pete Carroll's career, um, bringing in, you know, some of that Fangio stuff and yep. a guy from the Fangio tree. And I just think that that's the reason why the Rams went to the Super Bowl in part was because they brought in things that had killed them in the past in terms of that Fangio defense. And then, uh, you know, so a lot of those types of schematic changes on that side. Um, instead of just trying to go beat them again and beat that again and again, again, instead they brought it in and weaponized it for themselves. And you're seeing Seattle kind of do that right now. Anyway, I'm going galaxy brain now, but I just think, I just think it's fascinating. You're like, you, you, you gotta sacrifice a lot of pride to an ego to do something like that. Um, especially if you're the hires too. The hires are very important. A lot of these coaches have their trees and their philosophies that they learned from. And if they want to teach something new, it's very hard to because when you're trying to teach something new for the defense, for example, when you're trying to teach this too high Fangio, too gapping stuff up front. If 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 you don't know everything about it intimately, yeah. it's going to be hard to teach it to the players. You can teach them the basics of it and the fundamentals, you know, two gapping, one one and a half gap, all that stuff, not too complicated, match coverages. The problem is in the it'll be week eight and the other teams will have figured out your defense. They're going to start attacking you and adjusting. And if you don't know intimately your own defense, you can't teach your guys to have answers to the new problems. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see people hire people from uh, a McVay tree or a Shanahan tree or a Bill Walsh even further back because those people know the stuff intimately. So when week eight, nine comes around, the other teams are like, oh, you're doing a bunch of play action dagger concepts. Well, now we know how to stop that. Well, then if you know it intimately, you have the, the, the answers to the problems and it just becomes – big old i'd look like antonio brown uh but uh you're just a big old yeah the, the people on spotify have no idea what i'm talking about but yeah it looks like it just turns into a chess match so yeah. yes that's why you get the if you can't beat them hire them in the nfl that is not that is not an accident i've actually been told that directly that's why i had that direct example uh, yeah the, the interesting thing too is you'll hear people from that initial fangio staff or that initial staley ram staff and like they've said this to me before where it's like uh you know what the Xerox copies look like? I was like, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's some shade right there. <laughs> and so, and so it's basically saying like, you know, the coaches who aren't going to have the next counterpunch because they only know a certain extent of the, what the playbook was. Um, and, and I think you're seeing that in some places that plucked directly out of that 2020 Ram staff on the defensive side, 
where you're, you're seeing t- they've been figured out in certain ways and they're unsure really what the next evolution of this is. And I think that's why it was a good idea for Sean to hire Raheem Morris because Raheem Morris, he immersed himself in this defense that had in, in itself also borrowed concepts from a much, much earlier iteration of what it eventually became at the college level. Um, you know, Tampa two and NFL, and then you go into cover six and some of that match zone and Saban stuff in, in college and it comes back up and Fangio and then, you know, all that stuff and borrowing that, but also understanding how it's going to move forward and how it should move forward and, and evolve and, and kind of grow. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, you're never going to get the exact same thing that you had, but you at least have to figure out what the counter punches are going to be. And you have to have more counter punches um, as teams figure out how to play you. And that's one thing about this defense is it lends itself really well to evolving in that way. Um, especially if you can cater to your personnel and while still remaining intact within the philosophy. Um, but you can also really see when you run out of answers. <laughs> so. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of running out of answers, I guess you, how do I, <laughs> what? <You're> like, <laughs> There's speaking, so much. <laughs> speaking of running out of answers, the Rams are terrible. Have, is what you're about to say. I don't need, yeah. I, I, the record says they're really bad, but if you look deeper into it, they do have a stellar defense. That's, holding teams to not blowing them out. You know, they're losing games because the offense is struggling. And I guess maybe I should just form the questions. What happened to the offense? What happened to the explosive offense that we were able to see in the play in the playoffs last year that got them an opportunity to win the Super Bowl? What happened with that? And I'll, I'll end it with why didn't they even bring back OBJ? You would think a guy that if he doesn't tear his ACL, I forget what the injury actually happened, but what, did he tear his ACL in that Super Bowl? Yes. Yeah. So if he doesn't tear his ACL, he might end up being the MVP of that game. And the Rams are like, yeah, nope, we're not going to bring him back. So I, I'm curious to see what happened with this team because looking at their schedule, yeah, it was a little rocky, but they had opportunities to win games. So what do you think pinpoint this season just going off the way it has? And then also I would like to add, why not just bring back OB, OBJ? Because having him right now I think might help. Yeah. The, um, so it's the problem is you can't pinpoint it because it's so many different things. Um, it's just more like floodgates. <laughs> like it's just been crazy. So, um, it's a lot of truths. It's a lot of truths at the same time. Right. So first and foremost, the, they've been through an absolute catastrophe on their offensive line. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Historically, I don't think any team has had a season like this where they've gone through an actual four deep at almost every single position on their offensive mm. line. Um, it's four left tackles, uh, four left guards, uh, three or four centers, depending on some of the in-game stuff that's happened, five right guards, and holding it down on the right side is old Rob Havenstein, who has been in every game this year as the only position that has not changed along that offensive line. And we're at the point where when I interview Rob Havenstein in the locker room, like he'll literally ask if I can like knock on wood as I'm talking to him so that I don't jinx him when I'm asking about like how decimated the line is. That's Mm. where we're at. The personnel meetings on Mondays for the Rams have become less about like pro scouting updates and more about, okay, who's got a lineman, you know, it's just been, it's been crazy. And so like, that's one of those things that they didn't expect. They had invested in Joe Nopum at left tackle. I think in hindsight, you could maybe argue that was not the right investment for them to make. Um, It was the natural one. They had drafted him to take over eventually for Andrew Whitworth, but through actually through the course of all these injuries, they actually found that Alaric Jackson maybe can be their future at left tackle. He's out, got injured. Um, so then, then they, um, they, they really came across like these crazy good defenses that just kicked their doors down right away. 
And importantly, also we're playing the Rams in ways that they did not predict and did not expect. Um, when the Rams finished last season, the way that teams were covering them when they had Odell Beckham Jr. and Cooper Cup was, you know, you saw, especially the Super Bowl and, and, and into the postseason, you saw some bracketing around Cooper, and then you saw some dare Matthew Stafford to get to get it to the X or like, you know, ISO OBJ, the ways that they were scheming him loose. Like they were doing a lot of Shanahan McVay crosser system stuff, rhythm timing stuff. But they were also doing a lot of new stuff out of those dropback concepts that Matthew Stafford really likes, the empty sets, those types of things. And OBJ was thriving in, in those. And that was how they thought teams were going to start playing them moving forward, knowing the season that Cooper had last year and also understanding that, um, you know, th this was the direction their passing game had moved and they had no run game at the end of the suit. They still have no run game. So um, they knew that they're going to be working through some problems in that regard. And so they thought, okay, you know, they could have kept Robert Woods, which I think in hindsight, you want a guy like that around through a catastrophe of a season like this, just a leadership perspective. And he could have filled in when Cooper got hurt and, and all of that. But in the moment when they're making this decision, they were already of the understanding that Odell wasn't going to be back until at least December in terms of actually on field active. They knew that their team doctor did his surgery. So they know they knew exactly what his timeline was, exactly what the recovery was going to look like. And it was a pretty serious ACL sort of almost reconstruction because what he has sort of alluded to on social media was that there were already some issues from a previous repair that, um, you know, they, they also, you know, kind of helped, lead the the non-contact and the turf doesn't help obviously and then you know the, it's a non-contact really terrible thing they knew his what his timeline was going to be and there's always that mutual understanding that they were going to try to work something out with him and you know it would take it would be well into the year when they did and at the same time they understood that he wanted to go to a contender and they were super respected that so like you take your time recover and then here's what our offer is going to be it's my understanding of it's pretty low in the front end, very incentive heavy. Um, and then with an opportunity on the back end to lock in some multi-year, uh, a little bit more structurally sound traditional stuff that maybe would be reflective of how he came out of the injury and how he started working back into the offense. So that's my understanding. And it, it sounds to me like that's what other teams are, are kind of looking at right now um, as he's on his, uh, his, his series of visits that he's going through the next couple of weeks. So, it would have been super helpful to have him, but he was never going to contribute to this team anyway until, you know, mid-December, maybe, if mm. if at all, through the season, um, based on the timeline that they are, were aware of for the injury. So then that leads them to, okay, so in their minds, they're like, well, we're not going to play the same offense that we were playing because we've already moved into this Matthew Stafford era of drop back and spreading everything out um, horizontally and making sure that they're an empty all the time. And the things that Matthew Stafford really likes to do that sort of ran counter to what Sean did with Jared Goff. And so in that way that left Robert Woods is a little bit of the odd man out because that was more of a reversion to what they had done before. And you, you even saw when Robert Woods was on a Matthew Stafford team, he wasn't getting the ball. So um, then, um, so then they think, okay, when they lose out on Von Miller, which was huge in terms of affecting their season overall, when they lose out on Von Miller, then they're, they're like, where do we pivot? So they pivot to Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford specifically push for Allen Robinson thinking, okay, well, here's an X receiver, right? Here's an X receiver who can high point, 
and contested catch be a red zone threat. They struggled in the red zone all season. Um, here's a guy who we know he's a great leader. We know that, um, you know, he's got a resume as being a one, but he, he's the type of guy who would really be professional about, you know, working with Cooper cup in terms of that, that rep split. And you saw this vision for Allen through the spring and through the summer that was outstanding. Like it was, it was awesome. He was moving around everywhere. They were using him on all kinds of different concepts and layered routes and like doing all kinds of versatile stuff. And he just looked, he looked incredible. Um, and then they get into the season and they have no protection. First of all, the pressure is insane. Teams are also not playing them the way that they thought they would be playing them. What they're doing instead is basically like rushing for and fire zoning Matthew Stafford all day, all day, every day. And just like picking at him in that way, because also Van Jefferson is hurt. So teams know that they can't truly throw the ball deep because Van Jefferson's their deep ball guy. Tutu Atwell's not even, wasn't really even seeing the field at the time. And so they know that they can just sit in that shell and, and just fire zone away as much as they want. And it just makes life and, and between that and the pressure that teams were getting now that makes life really hard. Cause you're basically going to your first read of the progression every single time. Not only is Cooper cup always your first read and it took them way too long to make Allen their first read on any of these concepts. And not only is Cooper your first read pretty much every single time, he's also got like a crazy amount of option routes. So even if he's not the first read, he can become the first read depending on what the pressure looks like. The pressure looked bad. So it just, it was all these issues that was compounding. And then they started losing guys left and right to injury. And then Matthew Stafford goes in the concussion protocol and Sean McVay won't clarify whether he has a concussion. And then he leaves the protocol and then he gets a, a neck injury as, as he's taking his 63rd hit uh, in, in in a season, which is a, a career, excuse me, a, a, a high, a record high in the Sean McVay offense. And then Cooper Cup goes down uh, because John Walford throws him a hospital ball. And then, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, you're looking around, and you're like, this is, this is a, this is like that meme of the dog sitting in the house that's on fire. It's like, <laughs> the, anyway, so it's not just one thing, but it's, it's, ins, it's absolutely been insane. And it's an, anything that could go, right for the Rams in 2021, despite, you know, all kinds of chaos that they had anyway, anything that could go right for them in that postseason did go right for them. Anything that could go wrong for them this entire year so far has gone wrong for them. It's literally the domino effect. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, Chris, the universe resetting itself back to neutral is what is what's Randall's really got good. all his stones and he's making things right. Yeah. <laughs>
it's all it's uh the, it's like that one movie where what's the movie where dude like sells his soul to the devil uh there's wow. like probably i think like a million of those <laughs> oh like, you're talking about ghost writer yeah the, oh, yeah God. yeah like that's what's <laughs> that the, nicholas cage nicholas yep. cage oh, yeah brother. like his superpower is his head turned into a flame that's a stupid superpower but yeah he makes that deal with the devil and then you know like it's, it's, it's what the rams are the rams made that deal to get a what was that safety that dropped that pass in the uh nfc championship to Quisky tart yeah 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 whatever they sold to get him to drop that there you go. And now they are paying the price. They're almost like the 2020 49ers, I think. Oh, yeah, they were decimated well, think by about injuries, that too. too. I mean, like, that's part of it, too. The injury thing. That's the <laughs> That was the longest season the 49ers had played in, you know, in a while. The Rams are coming off in a store. And, and the, uh, 2019, I mean, was the longest 49ers season. I believe that was that year, uh, right? It, it, that was their Super Bowl run year. Am I, am I remembering that right? So I think they're they 13 and three that year. They're decimated after a run like that, a super a postseason run like that. And then if I'm remembering the year right, and then the Rams are decimated injury wise after a run, the one that they made historically long season. I think there's just like, they've got to be looking and they are looking right now very closely at the sports science of it all in terms of the workload on the body and balancing that to getting guys prepared and conditioned correctly. But also um, like, I, I mean, I, I know this sounds unscientific, but like burnout is extremely real. And I think that there's got to be a more medical way to deal with uh, the, the mental burnout, the mental medical part of what it was that they experienced and pushed through last year. And then coming back around in the shortest offseason in NFL history and doing it, trying to do it all over again. I do. I do feel bad for Allen Robinson because I feel like every year there's a guy, it's usually a couple um, that like get all of the angst from fantasy football fans for whatever reason. I know it's, it's usually like a couple, usually it's running backs, you know, because they got hurt or something or it, you know, maybe in some years it's Lamar Jackson and this year it is very clearly Allen Robinson and Kyle Pitts, you know, like people have clearly invested in them with DJ Moore for a little bit in Carolina as well, but it's definitely Kyle and Allen uh, right now team people drafted them, including myself uh, very high <laughs> and were very upset for however many weeks it was. And it seems like just Matt Stafford and Allen Robinson just had beef. Yeah. <laughs> could not throw that guy to ball, it felt like, um, for, for a little bit. I do feel bad for him because that's gets the their, their player DMs get real nasty for, over fantasy football. People just think they can say whatever shit they want to them because they didn't score for your little funky team. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's so, I, I see why the players are yeah. like, dude, fuck you. You know, I get that. Yeah. They, people hop in their DM, you didn't score, blah, blah, blah. It's like, dog, my team just lost by 20. In real life, I don't give a damn about your little fantasy team. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think and it, it like it drove me crazy too. I mean, he he was a real pro about it, but like it drove me crazy because you're sitting there and you're looking. It's not obviously it's not all one thing. Like were there were there times where maybe he could have been more open? Were there concepts that maybe you know he could have executed more cleanly? Were there catches that maybe he could have con- got, come down with? Of course, that's everything. That's always that's football always. But overall, in a big picture sense, like the Rams pushed hard. He was on the precipice to signing with another team. And Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford called him on the phone and were like, here's our vision for you. Come join the Los Angeles Rams. And they talked to him for like, you know, hours. And he was just like, okay, okay, okay. Like, I, I this sounds <laughs> awesome. I will be there. And like, say less. I, I will, I would love to join your Super Bowl defending team. And like, then the vision, and then they start operating that vision all through like again conceptually all through training camp and 
and and then you see what actually happens in the in the regular season and it doesn't look anything like it conceptually and then also you know when you have pressure like that and you're like i get it because cooper cup is your you're getting like you know crazy amounts of epa added every time cooper cup touches the ball so i get it you're going to spam him as much as you can if you're struggling everywhere else but at the same time you're still loading allen robinson up on the back side of of all these passing progressions, you're not putting him in high probability situations where he could really help. And it just was like, you know, I just felt like I was beating my head against a wall at a certain point. I was like, I mean, I get it. This is so much harder than I even know, but like this, this seems like there are simpler answers to this question here right now, guys. <laughs> like, yeah, So let's go. Cause they're not going to play Matt Stafford. It does not sound like, which is unfortunate because he's another guy I like watching. He's very volatile, uh, more volatile than I think people you know, give him credit for. He's got some Josh Allen in him and has always. And it just makes for fun games. You know, it does. One way, one way or the other, he might just blink and throw the ball to Quandre Diggs as if they're teammates again. <laughs> um, so in the game he got hurt, I mean, as this transition to Bryce Perkins, I told you guys this off camera, I was, uh, I was, wa- was watching on my phone the uh, just the, the numbers for the Saints game versus the Rams, and I see – Bryce Perkins did running the ball. Like he ran for like 20, he had like a 23 yard run or something like that. I'm like, what the hell? Sean McVay really can do anything. He got some white guy named Bryce Perkins <laughs> out here, probably just running all through the saints. And then after the game, I think I watched the highlights or something. I just Googled the guy. And I was like, hold on. Bryce is black. What do you know? Did not know the head of the uh, black third string uh, quarterback. Uh, good for good for Sean. Uh, but that leads us an opportunity to ask a question. We have quite literally never asked on this show. <laughs> I can guarantee that in five years of doing it. Uh, Jordan, is this Bryce Perkins guy good? So you guys have to give the context, too, of what this question is. Because so for those who have followed, you guys have so many awesome listeners. And everyone who is a regular listener knows every single year during the Goff era, mm-hmm. Michael Sean and Chris Kidd, every single time, the question you know, Jordan, we really – we ask you this every time, and we still don't know the answer to it, so we're going to ask you again. Is Jared Goff good? <laughs> and so I am delighted that we've carried on this tradition. Um, I think, yes, I think Bryce Perkins is good. I think that there are – they're not – there's obviously some limitations to what they can even run right now. Again, they're on a – like a four deep at most of their offensive line positions at this moment. Um a seventh string left, or excuse me, a seventh round rookie is starting at left tackle right now. Um, so uh, you're you're not in a good situation, and so there's a lot of limitations to even the language that you can build into the offense because of what your line is is not able to do. Um, to that said, I like he's got he's got a spark. He's got something. The guys in the locker room they love him. He's very calm. Um, he's been through a lot. He broke his neck in college, um, and transferred from my beloved Arizona state, unfortunately, um, transferred to Virginia, set some passing records there, set some, set some, uh, offensive production records there. And he just has stayed the course. You know, he was someone who, um, Shane Waldron worked with actually. And he was someone who, um, has been there for three years, an undrafted free agent um, who has drawn a lot of buzz. They, they've had to roster him essentially because other teams have been that interested in him based on his development. And he's worked really hard behind the scenes and guys all see it and they see sort of the the juice that he brings and and the the little spark of energy because it's not just that he 
is very collected and very cool and, and just really gives it everything he has every single play. But it's also that he can, he can move. Um, this dude, it's not just that he can run with the football. He is a very, very physical runner, very fast. And someone who I think if you get him an open space, um, you're going to have a hard time. And he's even, I mean, he, that 20 yard run, it's like a 23 yard run right up the ribs of the saints defense, like no concern for, for any of it. Just like, just knife through butter situation. And I think that there, there's something there um, guys, even at the end of last game um, when they had to convert a couple of really tough uh, late downs, a third down and a fourth and two um, to keep a drive their, their touchdown drive alive um, at the end of the third quarter, guys were telling me like they felt the chiefs backing off them a little bit because they were so worried that he was just going to boot it out and then he'd be gone. And so I think that that brings a little something there. And the Rams have never had a quarterback who can really do this and has started in multiple games for them and, and has really been able to layer this in as a direct element of what they can do on offense. And I think it's interesting. I think it's something that they need to be pushing for right now. I think that they should be going further in on this. You, you, you make him your starter. You, in my opinion, you shut Matthew Stafford down for the year. Again, he's in the concussion protocol and he left the game against new Orleans because he felt numbness in his legs after a hit, um, Mm. suffered a neck injury. And I'm like, bro, shut it down for the year. Right? Like that's not. And at the same time, you, now you have this opportunity with a, a quarterback who hasn't taken a lot of live reps to see what he can do in terms of maybe eventually becoming your long-term backup, but also what the future of this team looks like in a league where the traditionalists, you know, kind of stand in the pocket, even though Matthew can, can, uh, you know, wiggle around a little bit. And even though he's got the arm angles and he's, he can do the, you know, the, the misdirection throws and, and the no look passes to create space, you know, those guys are getting phased out of this league. And so it's a, it's a good opportunity for the Rams to really see what their, their future might look like in terms of a different style of quarterback than they've had under Sean McVay. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, I was going to joke. Sean's got to make that call on shutting Matthew down before, yep. uh, for Kelly's staff. Is that her name? Kelly? Kelly. <laughs> or she come into Sean's office and do it herself. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Sean already got hit in the face this last week. Oh, that was so the, bad. On the sideline. I don't think he wants to invite any more conflict. <laughs> yeah, man. Why, the wives don't play when it comes to the concussions with the, with the, especially the, the husbands that have got paid already. It's like, hey, you see, see what's going on in Tampa. And, when wives ain't really playing around when it comes to this. They'll tell you, shut your ass down and change the locks. <laughs> Throw that in there. Go ahead, Chris. So you mentioned no cup, no Allen Robinson. So you look at this offense. How do they get points on the board? Who do they go to? You said Bryce Perkins is pretty good at running. How does that work going up against the Seahawks defense that has been struggling recently? So how do you think they're going to put up points with no star weapons right now? Well, you ask a good question. How are they going to put points on the board? Um, they're not. <laughs> they're, they're not putting points on the board. No. And, and I don't want to diminish the effort that these guys are putting in either. Cause there's a lot of young guys who are working really hard right now. Um, but Oh my God, it's been, I mean, it's been bad the whole year. The Rams offense, even with a healthy Matthew Stafford, this is how bad it's been guys. I'm going to start. Here's the hands are coming out here. <laughs> so, <laughs> This is how this is how bad it's been this whole year. So the Rams through most of the the season, um, the Rams ha- defense has held opponents to an average of 16.2 points per game. Okay, the Rams offense had was averaging before Matthew Stafford went out with a concussion. The Rams offense was averaging 17.8 points per game. Mm, That's 
almost the worst scoring offense in the league and the sixth best uh, in terms of uh, limiting points defense. And then the stats are even skewed. If you go to like ESPN, the stats are skewed because they're freaking accounting for pick sixes. <laughs> Punk oh. blocks return for touchdowns, um, offensive turnovers. And so there, it, it makes the defense look a little bit more skewed than it actually is. The defense in terms of defensive scoring and, and, and limiting scoring, the defense was only allowing 16.2 uh, points per game, which was uh, tied for six best in the league is right up there with like the bills, um, some really, really solid defenses. And, and so you're looking at this and, and the, the offense has been historically bad all season. They have gone, three and out again, prior to Matthew Stafford leaving. Cause I think now we're looking at like an entire new stat set at this point in the season, wow. prior to Matthew Stafford leaving, they went three and out at a 40% rate, 40% guys, three and out, not even four and out, not even five and out three and out at a 40% yeah. rate. And like they were doing it at it also at a 40% as the highest ever under Sean McVay. And they were also doing it at a 38.2%, around 40% rate, directly after the defense forced a three and out. So, like, your defense forces a three and out, which they were doing in the top 10 of the league through most of the season, right? And then 40% of the time on the other side, the offense immediately goes three and out. Damn. Like, that's how bad the season has been offensively. So, to your point, how are they going to put points on the board? (laughs) Um so special teams, special teams has forced some turnovers. Uh, they, they converted a, a, you know, and, and there's some guys, like I said, there's some young guys who work really hard. Van Jefferson is getting his legs under him. He's out for most of the season. He and Bryce Perkins have a really good connection. So I would assume this is a big Van Jefferson game. Um, Tutu Atwell, I think more out of necessity because they, they haven't played him at all this year because they can't, they like, they like to go tempo and they can't keep subbing him in and out because they hadn't been able to play him on rundowns or, um, and some of the, the close to the stack concepts. Um, so they, you might see more of him. Um, you'll see more Brandon Powell and they're going to need to take the ball away on defense. They're going to try to need, need to try to score on defense again, really hard when your pass rush is missing Aaron Donald. Um, and they're also going to need to, to like steal some downs as they say on special teams by some of that trickeration that they did. And then, um, you know, try to, try to do as much as they can, um, the, the run game is, it has been, I've been intrigued by it because, you know, they, they cut Daryl Henderson. He had sort of been phased into their running back three and their running back three has to play special teams. He does not. So kind of became the odd man out. Kyron Williams and Cam Akers, they complement each other really well, but in new Orleans ran, ran the ball really well um, last week, not so much. Um, but that's one of those things that's a work in progress that I think you might see come along a little bit more. Uh, it's my understanding this, the Seattle run defense maybe isn't kind of where it needs to be right now. So yes. that's probably something that I would see. I would see is like them try to go pretty ground heavy early on in this game. Um, but actually punching it into the end, their kicker's good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like it's, it's kind of one of those things where I frankly have no idea how they're going to get into the end zone. Um, but like I said, I think, uh, you know, you saw some some flashes from Bryce Perkins last game and moving the ball. And so, um, you know, if they can just pick away at it and stay consistent with the things that they do well um, and not turn the ball over, which the, uh, Bryce did twice in the fourth quarter, um, then I think you could actually like build a little something here over the next few games. You must you must be reading our Seahawks man to man sheet that has all of our questions on there because <laughs> the next question was tricks up his sleeve for Sean McVay and you're like oh special teams might have to do something here and yeah. there <laughs> then you go into the run game but in week eleven they actually 
ran really well. They had 148 yards between Kyron. How you say his name, Mr. Williams? Kyron. Kyron Williams. Yeah. Your quarterback Bryce Perkins. And I thought, okay, they did it once. So you kind of hinted at it that they will have to. Do you think that'll be something that they do with even their O-line issues? Because what, back-to-back weeks now, the Seahawks have given up career highs to running backs. I know they had a bye week, but they did it with the Buccaneers. But Shad White, he ran for a career high. I think it was 110 yards for him. And then they have a bye week comeback, face the Oakland Raiders. Not Oakland, my goodness. I'm always going to get tripped up by that. The Las Vegas Raiders and Josh Jacobs. That was crazy. Bo- yeah, he, he turned out, he just reincarnated Bo Jackson and was out there doing whatever he wanted. Ran for 229 yards, 303 yards off the line of scrimmage. So he was doing his thing. Are you predicting that the Rams are going to have a successful run game come Sunday? Is that what I'm hearing, Jordan? You know, I just haven't seen them have a successful run game but twice this season. So it's kind of <laughs> like what Mike was saying earlier. I was like, I got to see it before I actually predict mm, it. Um, okay. I think this is setting up for them to try to stick with it. A lot of the criticism I think that's been rightfully directed at this group is when they've been successful running the ball, they kind of move away from it. And in part, because they do understand that the, the, you know, the highest uh, production and the the most productive element of an offense overall is going to be the passing game. However, it doesn't mean that it's, you just move completely away from the run game. So I think that's where you're going to see um, them, maybe mess around a little bit with some of what they, and then they also have started expanding the types of runs that they use. Um, it was very limited early in the season with Daryl Henderson, Cam Akers. Um, very, you, you saw, it just felt very part of it's the offensive line stuff. Like, again, you're learning a new language and you just showed up in the building this week. So um, if you can have some continuity, at least on the interior of your offensive line, which they may be able to do with entering this week, then I think you can start to expand a little bit of what you do um, with your concepts that you run. And, and Sean McVay has been wanting to get a good two-back system going. That's why they drafted Kyron. They thought he was going to be a really good complement to Cam Akers at a certain point. They need to get that going. And so I think that this provides them a good opportunity. It's a defensive structure that they're very familiar with, uh-huh. too. So I think that um, it's, it's a good opportunity for them. Will they stick with it? Will they be successful? I have no idea. So <laughs> it's hard to predict anything with this team right now, frankly. Yeah, you just knock on wood, hope no one gets hurt. That's just especially on that SoFi turf. I do like covering games at SoFi, but it can be brutal. A uh, hard, fast turf is what they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's 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 rough. We talked, we joked about me wearing sunglasses indoors, um, and when I do that, I do get assumes that I'm famous, and I'm like, man, I can't, or that I'm in the NFL. I was like, man, that's just. Do you guys know how big NFL players are? And then I forget that there's two two at well. Who is five nine and a buck sixty five, and, and he's probably not one sixty five. Yeah, he's, just, <laughs> he's not. Skinny. I yeah, don't know. If they skinny. list that on the roster. I'm like, we have eyes, guys. Like, because <laughs> teams like, always do this. It's not just the Rams. Teams everywhere always do this. Like, they'll list. It, it'll be like such a generous height listing sometimes, and I'm like, do they not think? Do, do people not think we have eyes? Like, what? Five nine one sixty five. I'm like, hold on. Hey, there you go. It's like the Spider Man meme. Like, hold on. I. <laughs> I know a 5'9", 165, if he is 165. Uh, it just gives me give me some hope there. You know what? Never know, because Chris gets mistaken for the soccer player, and then I'll get mistaken for someone in the in some famous realm. It's like, I can't be no NFL player. It's like, never mind. There's Tutu. So hold it down, <laughs> Tutu. I'm, 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 I'm rooting for oh, What's his real name? Is his real name Tutu? Uh, no, but I don't remember what his oh, name we're is. Gonna wiki. No. We're going to wiki. Also, you guys, you know – I, I can't say I, I've never been mistaken for an NFL player. So, Arterian. 
I can't really emphasize. <laughs> I do get I do get emails sometimes addressed to me thinking that I'm a man, but I uh, I don't uh, I don't ever get mistaken for an NFL player, so I can't I don't know that pain. What's his What's his name, Chris? Chaterius. It sounds like Chaterius. Okay, there you go. I'm just going. No, no wonder he goes by two. Does that sound right, Jordan? Did I even? Yeah, no, that's correct. That's yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to ask something here that's not really about either side of the ball. I'm, I'm curious about as I'm hearing all these bad things uh, with the team. Um, so Aaron Donald's hurt. Uh, got high ankle sprain. That it's at the point in the year it's like ah, he probably shouldn't play through that. Um, Sean McVay's got to be stressed uh, every week going through trying to build an offense around guys he just met the other day. Uh, and then Cooper Cup or excuse, Cooper Cup's out, and then Matt Stafford may or may not be concussed. How much longer are we going to see? Sean McVay, Aaron, and Matthew on the same payroll here. Cause this seems after last year, where the two of those three flirted with retirement, this seems like the <laughs> the cue God knocking on the door and be like, hey, this might be time. What do you what do you think? Do all three of these guys run it back in 2023? I think what I'm working through right now is first of all, I don't think that anybody really knows definitively the answer to that question as things currently stand right now. And while that might seem scary, if Rams fans are listening to this, it might sound scary. I think it's actually fine to not know the answer to that right now. I do know that the Rams will work through all sorts of different, you know, choose your own adventures, right. With this, depending on if one goes, two goes, three goes, I'll go, I'll stay, whatever. However, I will say one thing that I think is kind of at some point, Sean McVay is going to take a break, right? Right. It's also true that he and Matthew Stafford are very much linked to each other. Um, that this is a collaborative situation where they very much enjoy working together. Um, and it's, it's brought them both some new energy that they really wanted to experience. And so I think that those two are very much tied. So like if this is hypothetical, nobody, uh, I don't want to see this on like Bleacher Report or anything like that. <laughs> this is a hypothetical. Like if, if like, if like Sean decides that this upcoming year is the one in which he wants to take a break, I don't see Matthew also sticking around. Now he would owe the team a ton of money if he were to retire. Cause he, they, the, all these guys just got extensions. Right. So that might factor into it. Might not. He's already made a load of money in his life. So, and I don't know that that's like ever going to be more important to the family than player health. But um, if Sean goes, Matthew goes, if Matthew goes, I think it's more likely that Sean goes. Um, I don't know if either of them will go because frankly, what I'm also, or, or Aaron and, and frankly, what I'm sort of looking at here this like less talked about element. I think everyone realizes all these guys realize it is so rare to be able to go out on your own terms as a football player. Mm -hmm. Very few people actually get to do that. The ones who do should be celebrated. Um, but it's also, there's a nuance too, where if you can still go out on terms of, I did everything I could and had a losing season, you could still go out on those terms. Now, if you're injured, you have no control over the terms of your, you know, dis, you know, of your decision to leave, you have, you have no control over that. And that to me is maybe a little bit more of a sour taste than, than otherwise, like, oh man, we, su we suck the next year. And it's pretty clear that we're not going to be good. I don't think that this team stays at this level, by the way. Um, and I also don't think that guys who, especially, you know, who have battled through some stuff through their entire careers and proudly done. So I don't think I, that they want it necessarily on their legacy that they left because of an injury. I think that they would rather 
have it said that they left because it was time for them to leave, which that's what a losing season minus a season ending injury does. So I think that's a little bit of a factor. And then I also think I like one thing is, is like the sourness of this season. It's almost like if you're Sean and you know, he does care about what people think about him. And Mm -hmm. there is like this sense that he has never really dealt with like real adversity. Right. Um, Or like sort of this narrative that he's, because he's been on teams that have won and he's been obviously a huge part of that. But even when the Rams like missed the playoffs, they still put together what like seven, eight wins, like they're nine wins. Like, they st- it, it was never like this. So it's almost like if you win the Super Bowl and then the first year that you're bad, that's when you walk away. It's like kind of what is, I don't know that you live that down like as a human, right? Especially you're the coach. You're not injured. And, and that's being sensitive, obviously, to the mental health part of this and the idea of burnout and the con- those types of concepts. At some point, he will take a break. That's true. But it's also – the Rams, I think, are of the camp that they would believe it'd be more of a pause, kind of like Sean Payton is doing, right. taking a break but not done coaching. And at that point, you're kind of you're kind of getting in this gray area where if you if you know at some point you will take a break, like at what point do you want? What sort of like underline do you want on that rundown of your legacy? Like the first time you lost you know, you were under 500 after winning and, and then you just won the Super Bowl the first time you're under 500. And then that's when you walk away. That's sort of like, now you, you're going to, you know, expl- have to explain that to people and, and kind of face the guys in the locker room who stuck around and like, you know what I mean? It's just kind of, it's really, there's a human element to this. It's really complicated. And I just, I think that's part of the reason why nobody really knows what's going to happen because I think I would totally understand people wanting to hang it up after something like this. But I think I would also understand that this is such an outlier season for the Rams who I believe still are very much in their window outside of this entire catastrophe of injuries. And I also don't buy into the sort of think pieces and all the little narratives. I mean, I've seen everything where it's like, Oh, they're done. That's it. They have no capital. They have nothing. They, these guys always are working through a way to swing back essentially. Um, And I, and I don't believe that this is just it for their window quote unquote, um, I think that if they do decide to bring everything back in 2023, it's just this, the hair on the back of my neck is up guys. It's like, they're going to do some crazy shit. If they, yeah. if all, if they do get all of these guys back for 2023, they're going to do some crazy shit in terms of the moves that they'll make and, and some of the things that they will try, um, because they know that this is their time to win while they have the greatest player on the planet on their roster, their quarterback, at least for now the head coach who they do know will take a break at some point and what version of him when he comes back, you don't know. Um, and, and so that's, this is, they know it's now and they know it has to be now. So if they get it back, I think they're going to do some insane stuff. Yeah. Watch uh, predicting what Sean's going to do is very tough. You know, everyone, everyone can basically only just imagine what they would do. And what is, what is Sean? 36. I think 30? he just turned 37. Just 36. No, he's 36. Yeah. 36. Just got married. Super Bowl. Boy, I'd be on somewhere with a water. The beaches are white. The water's blue. Super Bowl ring on there. Have my agent say, hey, man, call me when Amazon wants to cut a check for them Thursday night games. And I'll be in the studio. Uh, <laughs> that That's just uh, that's me at, at, at 36. Uh, I do think I'm with you, though. Next year, 
that this I think we uh, compared them to the 2020 49ers earlier. Mm-hmm. 2021 49ers run the NFC title game. It's like you just can't get worse injury luck the next year. It just the universe hates no team that bad. Yeah. Like the the deal with the devil is it that that yeah he gets bored after a while. He's like ah. They've yeah. been, they've suffered enough. I'll just yeah. <laughs> Let me go Turn. back to just destroying the lions of the yeah. I'm like that. Like the football gods rotate. They'll get you <laughs> one season, but then they'll just go back to bothering the Jets and just pluck their cute quarterback luck or something like that. It's just <laughs> so so bad. Like right now, they're just on Mike Tomlin's ass. Uh, they said, "Boy, you ain't have a lose record before." <laughs> Watch this, Mike. Watch T. this. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this. Godspeed. Here's Mitch Trubisky. Uh, we. Talk a little bit about the offense. Uh, we can we'll uh, end this talking about the defense um, for the Rams because that is the thing that's going well. That is like basically when you look up stats for the Rams, you just figure okay, here's all the bad stats. They're like 32nd in this, 30th in that, and then you go look up that same thing for the defense, and they're just like first, second. Like what? Let me see. I was looking this up this morning. Number one in rush defensive EPA, second best red zone defense, number one goal line defense. Lowest uh, rate of explosive plays allowed. Like, this is all some very good – this is elite stuff that they are doing. They're basically like the Broncos. Uh, yeah. You know, the Broncos defense. They are the Broncos. This is very similar, actually, what's happening. Yeah, yeah. just, a, just <clears throat> a terrible offense, and then just one play away from some big defensive lineman screaming uh, at the quarterback on the sideline. Ejiro um, Evero, by the way, Ejiro Evero, defensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos, was on the ground floor uh, of Wade Phillips – uh, did some Vic Fangio stuff and some Brandon Staley stuff. So, by the way, we we're talking about Xerox copies. He is not one of them. He is the mm. real freaking deal. Uh, somebody needs to hire that dude. Yeah. He's got uh, – I'm always impressed by the defenses who put up those numbers when the offense is crap because that's very hard yeah. to, to do. Um, how? So that's a question I'll pose to you. How is the defense doing this, getting just next to no support from their offense? They sort of, when we talk about like deal with the devil, um, like their bargain that they made was to fully commit to capping the explosives because they understood this year that um, even if it meant they were going to play some like kind of infuriating looking at times coverages in terms of some of the cushion that they've had and that that prevent of uh, of those explosive plays, the number one way to to at least give your offense that is struggling so bad a shot to even do something is to make sure it's not too lopsided on the other side. And one explosive play, particularly an explosive pass play uh, triples the scoring rate on a drive in which the explosive pass play has occurred. So they're like, okay, if we can limit that part of it um, and that and fully commit to that fully buy in. And this is a compliment to Raheem Morris getting his guys to buy in. That takes a lot of discipline to play like that. And especially when, the ethos of this defense is a very aggressive match zone, but you're going to be in risk reward situations sometimes if you're pattern matching like that. Um, and, and so com- getting them to commit to that fully um, is, is been what I think you've seen a lot of people who don't fully understand what the, the strategy is. Like you've seen a lot of people complaining about it or questioning it. And then, but it's really what has helped them, at least give their offense a chance and the offense has totally let them down. And so that that's part of it. When, when, if their offense was scoring points, you'd see the real full iteration of what this defense is and what it can be. But in the meantime, they're, they're stopping the run. Like it's really interesting. I was going through, I'm working on a piece for this week uh, about Bobby Wagner and the, the defenses that 
are running conceptually this scheme, that none of them are uh, defending the run above number 13 in the league in DVOA and in run defense DVOA. And the Rams are up in the top five. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they've figured it out. And, and Bobby's a huge part of that, by the way. That's why, you know, I bring it up is like, they figured out there's only one way to beat this team. And when I talk about getting them to buy in and commit to capping the explosives that could totally make these games even more lopsided than they have been, like they've given, they've set the table for their offense in almost every single game this season. There are a couple outliers. There always are, but in almost every single game this season, they have set the table for their offense and basically teed it up for them. And the offense has responded. Like I, like I said before, going three and out at 40% rate directly after a stop. And so like there's only one way to beat this defense and it is a quarterback on the other side who is asked to do almost an impossible thing for a quarterback. And that is stay so disciplined the entire game, not make any mistakes and check the ball down every single throw. And it is, it it sounds like it would be easy for a quarterback to do that. It is not. Mm -hmm. It's, it takes a crazy amount of discipline to be able to stick to that. So it's like you wake up in the morning and you write a post note on your mirror that says, you know, uh, check down or discipline. And you, and you, it's like quick pass, quick pass, quick pass, quick pass. You write little notes to yourself all over the place. Your coordinators are screaming it in your ear every single time because it is so hard to stay in that tiny little box as a quarterback through an entire game. And quarterbacks who do it really more effectively than others are quarterbacks with really nothing to lose. Andy Dalton types, Colt McCoy backups, guys who were like, can, who, who almost prefer those types of things. Jimmy Garoppolo, um, who I think has actually played well this year, but he's someone who has thrived in this type of uh, trying to beat this defense in this type of way. So th- that's the only way you can beat this team. You cannot run the ball on them again. I don't know what it looks like minus Aaron Donald. And they're also without a Sean Robinson, by the way, who is their one of their best run run stuffing DTs. Yeah, so I don't, this is all caveat. Like, I don't know what it looks like from now on, but Previously, you could not run the <laughs> you could not run the ball on these guys. You could not. You just couldn't. You could do all kinds of crazy shit. And you've seen you've seen every team in the NFL running now against the Rams. All of these 49ers weird contact point moving runs at the toss plays, that Zorro that everyone loves. Like you've seen now every team in the league try these things on the Rams. You cannot run the ball against the Los Angeles Rams. Again, caveat, don't know now, but you couldn't, right? <laughs> so, so it's like there, and you can't pass explosively against them either. And so there's only one way to beat this team. And that is the way that they sort of committed to, um, to playing their defense with absolute extreme strictness in those other two phases, understanding that that was the only way left that teams were going to try to beat them because it was the only way left to scheme against this group and understanding that if you accepted that, and if you did say, yes, I'm going to do this and make that bargain, then you are setting the table for your offense to at least try to do something on the other side. You're, you're making the grounds as stable as possible for them on the other side. And they've been letting them down. So it's, you kind of see there where some of this disconnect is coming from with this team. Well, you mentioned him and the Seahawks pretty much were like, yeah, we appreciate all the lo- all the things you did for this defense, but we're cool. We- we're good. We got young guys that we want to use. We want to be faster. But I was like, cool. I'll sign with the enemy. I'll sign with the Rams. I'm sure this is not what he expected, but injuries are a part of the game. And unfortunately the injury bug is running rampant down with the Rams. How has he handled this season despite everything going on? 
I don't know that I, I don't know that I've really met anyone like Bobby in my entire life. I text Mike about this a lot. Like not only is it like someone who has multiple PhDs in football, who's just like, you just get to learn from and be around all the time. But also like, I've, I don't think I've ever met somebody as professional as he is. Um, and, and, and like, he has fun with it and he has a good time with teammates and all this stuff, but like he, this is not what he signed up for in the, in the least. And he, he has not let that show one time this entire, right. the entire time he's in the locker room post game. He, he, he sits there and talks to media every single time. I know it's like, I'm not one of those people that's always like, you know, does the player talk to media or not? Like, I don't, you know, I, I don't really care about that. Like, that's not really my style, but it is noticeable that he stands there and takes you through what happened. And he keeps got, he tries to keep guys together and he just like quietly moves about his business and is really someone that Sean McVay has said he's leaning on during, especially this time that they're going through right now. And it's not just that it's also that he's having like one of the best seasons I can remember him having. It's just getting lost in the crap dumpster fire. That is this season. Um, he's like grading out as like the best inside, one of the best inside linebackers every week and pro football focus. Um, he is the reason, one of the main reasons why they can stop the run so well. Um, the way that he calls this defense, he keeps everyone disciplined. Like the, the, the crazy thing to me is like, it would be so easy for this group to say, I'm so sick of this, of what this offense is doing and, or not doing in this case. And I'm just going to play out of, out of scheme. I'm going to play my game. I'm going to be, make plays on the ball, even if it means that, um, it leads to crazy explosives on the other side or touchdowns or whatever, instead of maintaining the integrity of that shell that, and that post-snap rotation that they do. And they could, they could do that. You, they would probably be fair in doing that. Like I would understand if that's, but Bobby has kept everyone together on, in that group in terms of making sure that everything is clearly communicated, that the tone is set, that everything is known. And it's just been, it's been really, really remarkable, like getting to know him a little bit. He's kind of, you know, he's a pretty private person, but getting to know him a little bit, I was super fortunate to write uh, an in-depth feature on him earlier this year um, that I'll share out again this week. It's pinned to the top of my Twitter profile in case Seahawks fans hadn't seen it and are interested um, in reading it. Like, just probably one of the most remarkable people I've ever met in my entire life. Not to gas him up too much. You know, we got to keep, you know, we got to, yeah. (laughs) Hold on. I'm going to get the headline of that real fast because that was really good. I'm going to share that out. So the headline for that is uh, Bobby Wagner is back in Los Angeles, but he never really left it behind. That's very good. That's very, very, very good. Once you get to talking about Bobby and his mom, you got to interview him without crying and good luck. Uh, Yeah, I was a wreck after that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll share this. I'll share this now. Like, um, so I interviewed him, geez, it would have been, uh, late August, early September before the season started, the piece ran early in the season and, and I'm glad it did. Cause you know how fans are like, you could put out a really nice feature and it's really impactful and important, but if the team is bad, it's like people are kind of have checked out. So I'm, I'm glad that it went up early. Um, because it's really, it was really important. It was important that people know who he is and what he's about. So we do this interview. He's really gracious with his time um, and very trusting uh, to the point where like we hadn't, we'd, we'd talked through the course of training camp or whatever, but nothing that in depth and very, very trusting and open and gracious with his time um, and very impactful stuff that he's you're talking about life and death and how people you carry people with you and how people remain alive through you 
and even after you've lost someone you love and what you do with that as you carry them. And um, I walked to my car after the interview. I left all my stuff in the Rams facilities and I walked to my car and I put the seat all the way down and I just sat there and cried. <laughs> like it was, I was, a, I was a, I was a wreck. And when, you know, when, when, when you do something like that and you write something like that, I think it, it sounds really probably overly cheesy and I don't care. I'm just going to say it anyway. Like, Writing a piece like that makes you really grateful to be alive in the moment that you're in because you get to have an experience where you talk through something extraordinary with somebody. And I, it's something I will never forget in my entire life. Mm. Yeah, Bobby's a, a special cat. Um, I will ask that if you can relay a message to me, to him, for, for me, on behalf <laughs> of the Seahawks media. Um, the, 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 the game is still on whenever, they're, whenever he's done being scared. Um, just let him know that for us because we're we're up here we're no, ready hang on hang on before you say us jordan then after you say that say chris also said he respects your game and would love what? to compete against you on the court <laughs> what throw that in there this is not, what kind of unity is this he undercutting my trash talk I, no. no i'm just i'm just what? that's mike's commentary chris understands bobby is an elite nfl player his basketball skills probably good maybe college level i respect it we are going to score, but I don't think we'll beat you. So with that being said, just add that tidbit. Chris also respects it and is looking forward to the competition. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I hear a lot of talk, including from Bobby, about his game. Never seen it, you know? Never seen it. So, I mean, he, he's doing crazy shit, like jumping over the long snapper and blocking a punt. I know you guys seen that a bunch when he was in mm -hmm. Seattle. Yep. And he's he's doing a, like a clean like high knees jump and a, a double bounce to get a get his hand in there and all of that, and I was like, yeah, that's good, that's good. But but when asking him about it, the conversation immediately goes right into into basketball, you know, <laughs> basketball player move and you know it's, it's stuff about like you know it's 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 like a Lakers practice and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Now now I don't know because not only have I not heard and not seen you play myself, so I don't know. Also, I haven't really heard teammates talking about whether he's a good player or not. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I kind of, I kind of think they're like, "Oh yeah, so much respect for Bobby Wagner." Basketball just somehow never comes up, so I don't really know what that says about his actual his actual game there. You know, I take it. Don't don't relay that. Don't because you can't relay what I said and then relay what Chris. You just <laughs> undercut my trash. What kind of trash talk is that? Hey man, it's on, but it's okay. One of us doesn't think you're, we're gonna even win. What? Nah, man. You can't. <laughs> You can't go on with the mindset that we're gonna lose. Then we'll he's always he's already playing psychological mind yeah, games with you guys. This is how oh, he wins. Goodness. This is how he does it. He does this uh, like every every week. He'll get up there. He'll talk about some run concept or something that the other team does or whatever. And you know that their staff is all listening to all those press conferences, and you know that they know that he knows what they're gonna do before they do it. That's that's his game. It's insane. He's already to doing that to you guys right here, right now on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, he said we wouldn't score, okay? I'm thinking <laughs> we will score points. So technically, I'm with Mike. I don't think we'll win, but we'll get some points. We might lose 11 to 5, but you know what? Bobby said we wouldn't score a point. We got five of them things. I think that's okay. That I know Mike is a competitor, and he's like, nah, 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 nah. We winning. I respect that. There's guys like DK that I don't know how we're going to get a rebound against him. They had offensive linemen like Charles Cross, who apparently is going to play. 
those are two big guys that I'm not going to try to get a rebound from. So let's just we'll, we'll get back to football here. But I just wanted to get that in there that way. You don't need to hit. get a re- you don't need to get a rebound if the ball goes through the net. Thank you. You know what? There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. You know what? Maybe we should pick up Jordan. What do you say, Mike? Yes. yes moral support. He, yes. No, no, no. To play. Not not to be a cheerleader, not a moral cheerleader. You're gonna be on the court. Anybody who just thinks who believes in us, I'm 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 with I have physically scored a point on Bobby before in a game. Like I'm very confident in our ability to to score. I'm just throwing just throwing that out there. So <laughs> I, I'll try and relate. I don't know. I get the message today because Chris is gonna have us out here sounding soft. This is insane. This is terrible trash talk. I'm sorry. Ridiculous. Let's we got we got one last thing. We're talking about the other star defensive player who's actually going to play, uh, you know, in this game in Jalen Ramsey, who's been who's also been like a Seahawks killer uh, in in the past. Though this, the numbers don't suggest that that's he's the same Jalen um, this year. That the explosives are definitely being allowed, at least statistically. Um, and then you know, if you just watch the highlights, you see stuff like Chris Olave just running right by him uh, in that Saints game. So. Uh, Jordan, what are, what are you seeing? Is, is, is stats being deceptive or is highlights not telling the whole story or is Jalen not the usual Jalen in 2022 this year? So I think, like I said, I think it's like a couple of things at the same time. Like on the one hand, you know, the explosive pass plays, especially a couple of them on key downs that Olave one was not good. Um, the, the Kelsey one last week, I mean, that, that was a crazy route too that Kelsey ran, but like, again, you expect, Jalen to um, be who we've traditionally known him to be and, and contest that one a little bit closer. And then also um, be a little bit, maybe more, uh, I don't want to say even disciplined. Cause I feel like I'm like, you know, I, I could not do what these guys do. So uh, you, you expect the, the, after the catch stuff to be contested a little more closely mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, and so, and I think that's part of it, but what you're, what also is happening too, is he's, he's being asked to do a lot of different things for them, including against the run. He actually, I would say he's probably one of their better run defenders on the team. Um, and he, he's being asked to do a lot of things close to the line of scrimmage and the star and, and all of that. So when you see a higher volume of, uh, 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 of yards and stuff, you're also understanding that he's in a higher volume position right now where he's getting a lot more action. You're going to get, you're going to make some plays. You're going to give up some plays. I would say that a couple of those explosives though have been very uncharacteristic um, particularly ones where it's it, it's clear he's got the opportunity to be the guy. And in the past, it was sort of like a no-brainer, a no-question. Um, and this year, there have been some moments where I've kind of wondered, um, you know, is he fully healthy? Is he feeling okay? Um, that kind of a thing. So um, we'll see how he finishes out the year. He's been really outspoken as well, I think, about the um, the lack of reciprocation from the offensive side this year. He was pretty outspoken um, after, let's see, one of the losses. There's been a lot. Yeah. <laughs> One of them One earlier of them. this year. He was pretty outspoken about it. Um, the offense held the team that they played to. I, I don't know. I'm blanking on the team. They held the team. The, the, the defense held the team to 13 points, and the Rams still couldn't win. So oh, that's the Bucks game. The Bucks game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bucks game. And then they shouldn't have been on the field at the end. You know what I mean? So I, it's been frustrating, too. So I imagine it's been what I, what I would call this defense right now, Jalen included. I, would, I wouldn't call them tired. I wouldn't call them gassed. I wouldn't call them um, – you know, you know, worn out or anything, I would call them weary because mm. that also implies the mentality of what they've kind of had to deal with this year as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Jalen probably like, man, I flew all the way from Jacksonville for this shit. <laughs> you know, this is, this is just the, the, the 2017 Jags, uh, you know, well, that offense was okay, but yeah. And some of the latter years with Jalen in Jacksonville, that was bad. 
Yeah. That was that was that was really really really, and he was killing it. That defense was so good. The 2017 Jags defense. I know, missed one missed opportunity. Yeah, it's some. There's so many of those guys who are like still in the league, still starting. Calais Campbell. Yeah, love that man. He was my first NFL interview. Oh, look at that! He was a kid on uh, Monday Night Football. I keep calling him kid. Uh, Monday Night Football just yesterday. He was just killing it. Uh, He was on that defense too. Yannick. Yannick, yeah. Yannick and Gakwe, yeah. Feeling it on it. Like, there's just a bunch of those guys who are just still very good. On I think Miles Jack played in the game last night, too. You know, he was on that. I think he was on a defense camera. But yeah, he uh, was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just they had just good good guys, you know, on that defense. And then they were just Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles, man. That is a that is a shame. Yeah. I think Bryce, I'm hopefully Bryce Perkins has a good game, man. You know, that's it'd be just, crazy if he has a good game and the Seahawks end up losing or something. That'd be really wild. Yeah, yeah. You meant we've all talked about Sean McVay. Like he's not about to wave his white flag. He's he's definitely coming in there, you know, with a mindset. We do these things. I I'm willing to put down one and a half, one and a half times. So one and a half over or under that they fake they run a fake punt or something, they Mm -hmm. a trick play. I have that yeah, like I, I really think he's gonna go in his like he doesn't wanna lose this game. I know he told the players. I saw. I read your recent story talking to the players about, "Hey, go out there and have fun." Like, how many of you envisioned this opportunity? I get the whole team is just depleted. So at this point, yeah, go out there and have fun. But still, <laughs> don't know wanna... what your name is, but go out there and have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about yeah. that when you were talking about uh, Rob Haven. Uh, is it Steen Stein? Havenstein, yeah. Havenstein. It's like, yeah, he's probably just he can't even go over to plays. He's getting to know the guy next to him. Yeah, you know, like that's, that's and that's, they've been that's, on. Think about this too. They've been on their silent count for most of the season. So you're not only are you going through offensive linemen like, you know, popcorn, but you're also it, it's it's been crazy, dude. Like it's I've never seen anything like this before. And I think uh, it's it's interesting. The thing that I'll say too was the Rams had a really good game plan against Kansas City. They knew that that Patrick Mahomes were was going to chew up some yards. I think you just have to accept that when you're against that that Chiefs attack, especially as they are entering their final form as they prepare to make this like Super Bowl run. And they knew he was going to chew up a bunch of yards. What they wanted to do instead was again, like I said, limit the explosives on the defensive side, and then flush him through what they were doing on the interior and the way they were moving Aaron around. Um, flush him into the flats, but stay sticky. Once you're out of your shell, quote unquote, in the zone, stay sticky at the end of those routes and flush, flush Mahomes side to side. Bobby, you know, for all the, the talk about um, like speed, I guess was like one Mm. of the reasons like Bobby was moving sideline to sideline pretty well with Mahomes, especially in the red area. And they knew that if they could keep him out of the end zone, that would be the difference maker of the game. Then the other side, the offense for all the missing players and, people who, you know, are shaking hands for the first time in the huddle. Like it's, it was really interesting because in the beginning of the game, part of the reason why it was so close was not just because of what the defense did, but also because um, they were playing keep away from Patrick Mahomes. They were uh, running the ball, even though it wasn't super effective, they were running the ball a lot, doing a lot of design runs to convert downs with Bryce Perkins, which meant that they could sustain drives actually a little bit better than they have been doing on offense all year. Um, which kept the time of possession pretty even, um, even though the defense was on the field uh, quite a bit. And that was the, the bargain that they made essentially um, because they knew that they were going to chew up some yards, and, but you just keep them out of the end zone. And then they played keep away on the other side. And I thought that was really interesting. That's creative. That's like, to me, that's like a, a coaching staff and, and a group of young guys that do not want to quit that are not laying down 
for this season because you go in there and you're 15 and a half point dogs, like, you know, <laughs> like I don't, I would not be thrilled to be playing in that game, but it just showed that like, to me that they weren't just going to lay down. So I, I'll be interested to see what happens this week because that was, I think one of their smartest game plans of the year. Ironically, it happened when there was nothing left to lose um, essentially. And then that's where you hear that timeless football phrase, like the genius of desperation, because that's, that's really what it was born of right there. Mm. Well, it'll be a interesting game to say the least. Jordan, we want to thank you for taking the time out and joining us for another episode of Seahawks man to man talking about the Rams as they're pretty much decimated, but they're going to keep fighting. And it, again, it should be a definitely interesting game. Mike, anything you want to add before we get out of here? This is really like the 2020 49ers who I think had a player get injured during a, get a concussion during a walkthrough. So, um, Oh, I remember you, that. Yeah. Yeah. Barrows. I remember writing about that. I said, that's, that has to be a typo. What did he hit? <laughs> it's a <laughs> walk. Yeah. yeah. The Rams actually had that happen this year with one of their linemen. Oh man. It yeah. was a lineman for the, uh, so maybe it's just a lineman thing. Yeah. It was a lineman for the Niners as well. So like, it, this is the worst of the worst. Once you guys get in concussed and walkthroughs, that you're screwed uh that's it though thank you jordan for for joining us thank you so much uh keep thugging it out through the season there or actually guys is there anything you would like to add jordan before we let you go anything that you have coming up your podcast what you got um yeah so i do co-host the 11 personnel podcast uh still an apt name although who knows how long that will be the popular (laughs) asking formation in the league at this point um and yeah i mean i i've always got stuff i'm working on i think at this point it's pretty much inevitable that there's going to be a deep dive on the Rams season and what went wrong. I would say, keep your eyes peeled for longer term. Look at that. Um, it's going to be very interesting digging into some of the behind the scenes stuff of that. Um, also always have, you know, always have uh, thoughts and, and feelings and whatnot and sharing all those things that Bobby Wagner piece I'm excited about. It's, it's kind of about how, how timeless he's been um, against And you can really see it the way that he's defending the run. Cause like you could, dress it up any way you want and he's just still getting to the ball um and, and it's really inter- it's been interesting to watch all season so um yeah other than that though it's great seeing you guys this is like i said eat shit matt barrows no i'm just kidding <laughs> by the way i love matt barrows i just don't want him to get my streak this is i am the longest running host and i will stay that way there we go all right <laughs> there it is Thank another you, episode of seahawks man to man we thank you again, Jordan. We'll catch you guys after the game. Have a safe week. See ya. You see how I'm the time you have to say that for your mama. Maybe you should smoke some. You try the marijuana. I was never you good. The vibe was straight. Shows you a couple of things and they finish changed. I treated you right. Everything was a gift from a time to your bag. And I tell on your lip. Yeah, you're telling your picture. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.